On 5th October 2021, Justice Secretary of the UK Dominic Raab announced the intention of the UK government to overhaul the Human Rights Act, which he claimed is being used by dangerous criminals to abuse human rights laws. On 14 December 2021, the Independent Human Rights Act Review published its report after a consultation process. The independent review was set up by the UK Ministry of Justice in 2020 to look into the functioning of the Human Rights Act. On 14 December 2021, the UK government also published its own report on proposed reforms to the Human Rights Act and called for a fresh consultation on these new proposals. This forms a part of a long, almost 10-year history of attempts by the Conservatives to replace the Human Rights Act with a British Bill of Rights, which would restore sovereignty in Westminster and ensure a proper balance between individual rights, personal responsibility, and public interest. In today's episode of Rights Up Pops, we speak to Professor Alison Young, the Sir David Williams Professor of Public Law at the University of Cambridge, about the new government consultation. Thank you for speaking with us today, Alison. Thank you. Hello, and thank you so much for inviting me and for that wonderful introduction. So I'll start today with asking you about the 14 December report. Briefly, what are the reforms proposed by the government in its 14 December report? Okay, well, I'll try my best to be brief, but they've given us a really long consultation exercise with 28 questions. And I think, well, you've pointed out in your introduction the kind of main direction of travel. So it's this idea of trying to replace the Human Rights Act, which incorporates the European Convention of Human Rights into UK law with a British Bill of Rights, while still trying to ensure the UK remains a member of the ECHR. And they're kind of two general directions of travel of these reforms. So one of them is this idea of trying to almost repatriate rights. So we're trying to focus more on ensuring we have domestic human rights rather than just using the ECHR. But there's also a second trend, and this is pushing away from a stronger protection of rights through the court because they see they need to redress the balance. They think that this strong protection of rights is perhaps in some way pushing rights too far. So this is kind of two track way of trying to make this more domestic, but also this kind of element of removing rights protections away from predominantly being in the hands of the courts towards paying greater respect to the wishes of parliament and potentially also the government. Maybe next you could tell us about what you think about these reforms, really. Okay, well, I, I think I have sort of two real concerns about them. And first, even when you read the government's own case for reform, it's a particularly weak case. There isn't really a very strong case for reform at all. So, for example, they refer a lot to the role of Section 2, the extent to which UK courts have to take account of European Court of Human Rights judgments. And they use quite old case law as if the UK courts are always bound by these decisions. But more recent case law shows there's been much more flexibility and much more of a dialogue between UK courts and the European Court of Human Rights. And similarly with section three, the courts don't use this in the kind of radical way that you might think they do when you read some aspects of the government's report. And second, I don't really think these are a move in the right direction. I think a lot of us are concerned about the extent to which this might weaken the protection of rights and stop rights from being able to develop 
and take account of changing aspects of modern society, particularly when we think about LGBTQ rights and the extent to which these have evolved over time. And also, in some senses, they might fail according to the government's own aims, because a lot of these rights might be quite unclear and it might lead to a lot of litigation as we try and negotiate the ins and outs of these new rights. So rather than allowing the government to be able to pursue the public good without worrying about too many sort of unwarranted human rights claims, it might end up backfiring and producing even more litigation. So it, it's really difficult to kind of see these as a move in the right direction. To go back to something I started with, this new consultation comes in the back of a report that's already been prepared by the independent review. So what did the independent review find and how do the new proposed reforms align with these findings? Well, for the most part, the independent review didn't think there was a strong need for a large amount of change. They gave the human rights act a pretty good bill of health. And obviously, that's not to say it's perfect. And they did point out some ways in which there might be aspects of improvement. And but the government's response seems to be sort of not necessarily accepting that and pushing it a little bit further. So there are some recommendations from the independent review that the government is following up. So for example, this idea of prioritizing using common law rights before going to convention rights. That is something the review recommended that the government is moving forward. And the review also talked about aspects of remedial discretion. But then there's also some modifications and suggestions that the independent review made that the government isn't necessarily using in the same way. So, for example, the independent review did recognise that there was a lot of uncertainty about how far convention rights should apply extraterritorially. So this idea of when rights almost sort of travel with you, when in particular you have the armed forces deployed abroad. And the review recommended that there should be more of a discussion between the UK and the institutions of the ECHR, whereas the government's response seems to be suggesting that, no, actually, we, the UK, should reduce the scope of this application, which could be problematic. And also, lots of recommendations are things that the independent review didn't really think needed changing at all. So the independent review didn't think there was a problem with Section 2, and yet the um, government's response is pushing towards changing this. And also, the independent review didn't think that there was a need to modify Section 3, and also an aspect of ignoring some suggestions. So the independent review really thought it would be a good idea to have much more education on how human rights work in the United Kingdom. And that's something the government's response has not necessarily picked up. And that might reduce the extent to which we can facilitate the development of a good, strong rights culture in the UK. As you say, the government seems to have either ignored some of the suggestions of the independent review or kind of gone contrary to them in certain ways. So what do you think this says about the status of independent reviews more broadly? It does make me a little worried about the extent to which these independent reviews actually then influence governmental policy. And, and we do have to accept there's a lots of politics behind this. So you mentioned that the Conservative Party has almost had for the past 10 years this idea of bringing in a British Bill of Rights. But I think it's 
problematic, particularly when you look at things like the Independent Human Rights Act review, which was independent in its report. It has majority views. It notices some minority positions as well. But it also consulted wide ranges of individuals and groups. And um, I know that members of the, the Human Rights Hub in Oxford were also part of some of the roadshows, as were the Centre for Public Law in Cambridge. And these roadshows were online. You had lots of individuals who could come in and bring in their own opinions. So I think it's, it does make you kind of concerned that if you set up something like this, then really you have to question and worry about it when you see that it isn't necessarily going to fully follow the recommendations. In, in light of everything that's happened, what do you think is the value of responding to consultations in the Human Rights Act, given that there is a, like, a possibility or a likelihood that they be ignored? Well, I, I guess you're definitely ignored if you say nothing. So you say something, you never know, they might take account of what you're saying. But I think we also have to realise just how much the response to the consultation exercise to the independent review of administrative law did actually achieve something. So if you look at the Judicial Review and Courts Bill, it is nowhere near as radical or as potentially restrictive of judicial review claims as some of the suggestions seem to be coming out from the tone of the government's response to the independent review of administrative law. I think also these are just really good. It's really good to write this because there's been so much uh, willingness to publish these responses. And that, again, helps to serve a really good educative function to see that so many different organisations and individuals from across the UK have a similar viewpoint, a similar understanding of how rights work can really help, I think, build that rights culture. And that, that for me, is another important function of these responses. That's a nice, uh, hopeful note to end on, I think. Thank you so much. And thank you again for inviting me.